get our Bibles out tonight. We've been looking at some prophetic things here, parables of the kingdom, uh, looking at Matthew 24. We're in Matthew 24 tonight. We're going to start in verse 16 and read through 22. Uh, hopefully I'm able to cover all of that tonight. Last week we looked at verse 15. Jesus talked about the abomination of desolation, and we learned that wasn't a teenager's room or your attic or your garage, but it is an actual event that will take place, and we'll recap that a little bit, but let's get to Matthew 24, Jesus laying out all kinds of truth for us about the last days, giving it to his disciples, um, a lot of good eschatology here, and we're going to understand how it applies and the implications of it. So let's thank God for the word. Father, we thank you tonight for the word, and we thank you for the words of Jesus. The red letters mean so much to us, Lord, and your words uh, resonate in our hearts, Lord, and they give us hope, and they prepare us for the things to come. And we thank you for that, that you didn't leave us orphaned or confused or without uh, a blueprint. Lord, you've given us everything we need to know to stay ready, to be prepared, to look for your coming, and to understand the signs of the time. So unfold what's here tonight for us, and let it make sense to us, and let it encourage us. We ask this all in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Matthew 24, I'm going to read verse 15 that we tackled last week, and then I'll continue through verse 22. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, Whoever reads this, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Say mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Let's stop there and let's jump in and take a look at what Jesus is saying. How many, how many would say that those things that he's saying kind of would get your attention? Not kind of lackluster, not kind of ho-hum, but these are, these are serious things that he's saying here. Last time we talked about the abomination of desolation, finding this was an act that was perpetrated by a literal person, the person of the Antichrist in the last days, according to the book of Daniel. Now, the Antichrist will uh, come into the rebuilt temple of Jerusalem. The Jews are going to reconstitute the temple. They're going to start giving offerings again. Realize the Jews are still under the Mosaic law covenant, yet they've ceased to offer sacrifices in their temples. And this is going to happen again. There's all kinds of rumors. They're collecting implements. They're looking for uh, all the components of the temple to rebuild it. Th these things are uh, happening, you know, as we speak, actually, there is uh, plans to do this. So the temple will be rebuilt. And then the Antichrist at some point during the tribulation period is going to step into the temple of Jerusalem. He's going to stop the priest from offering sacrifices to God. He'll declare himself to be God and he'll demand that the whole world worship him. Now, this act 
most scholars agree will happen in the mid-trib period, 3.5 years in. In the 3.5 years, there was going to be relative peace. Antichrist is going to calm the storms, and he's going to make the peace treaties, and he's going to look like man's greatest hope has come. But in the middle, uh, everything falls apart as he breaks the treaty with Israel. He declares himself to be God. And at this point, all the nations plunge into three and a half years of what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. Now, during this time, the Antichrist will do his very best to utterly destroy Israel. He makes peace with Israel, but his intent is always to destroy Israel. Why? Because Messiah came through Israel and is coming back for Israel, and the Antichrist hates Israel. So he's going to try to destroy Israel, and he will murder every man, woman, and child who refuses to worship him and take his mark. You look really serious out there. This is not a problem for us. We're going to be with the Lord in heaven watching this on the big screen. And uh, God is going to keep us and protect us. And we don't have to fear these things. But this is what has been foretold to happen. Now, verses 16 through 21 outline the necessary response that those who are still here and see this event happening must take to survive. In 16, it says, let those who are on Judea flee to the mountains. Now, I want to take a drink. You guys are great. So much better than doing it while everyone's looking at you. So here's this uh, response that is set, told here that they have to flee, uh, and, and they have to flee to the mountains. And so there's an immediate response. Now, remember, understanding the implications of the prophetic, especially the book of Re Revelation, requires that we understand who's being spoken to. Now, we see that there are several groups, and I mentioned them in, in other teachings, but it, the groups that are, you know, in play here, you have the church, you have the Jews, you have the tribulation saints, those that get saved and refuse to take the mark of the beast and, and, and are, have an allegiance to Christ, and then everyone else are considered Gentiles. All unbelievers, cults, world religions, all that considered Gentiles. So you have the church, the Jews, the tribulation saints, and the Gentiles. All these groups are in play during the book of Revelation. Now, in this case, Jesus is no doubtly speaking to the Jews. The Jews will go through the seven-year tribulation period. God will give them specific instructions all throughout the book of Revelation. He will protect them, and they will survive uh, the attack of the beast. So verse 16, when it says the uh, abomination of death, desolation uh, presents itself in the temple and the antichrist makes this decree here the, the impending catastrophe that is coming will require them to flee immediately now this is it's pretty serious here the immediate instruction for all those in the vicinity is flee now anytime a large group of people uh, face an impending catastrophe it's super stressful and super dangerous the chaotic situation uh, becomes a life and death situation. People fleeing from erupting volcanoes or from tidal waves. Have you seen some videos of people, you know, on the beach and all of a sudden everyone's having a good time. It's a beach day and the water goes out and it goes out and it doesn't come back. And that means a tidal wave's coming. And, and, and you've probably seen this, people running for their lives 
before that surge comes in and washes everything away. The, the, you know, mudslides, wildfires, war. We see in Ukraine people fleeing from war to survive, some of them not making it out alive. These are the worst situations possible in life, and that's exactly what the Bible is prescribing here. Your only option is to flee immediately. There's going to be confusion. Uh, think about putting yourself in that situation there. The crippling, uh, you know, effect that you have to make an immediate decision, but you don't know where to go, when to go, how to go. I mean, you have to, you make one miscalculation and that's it. Feel for what's going on in Judea here for these people as they flee. So immediate flight in this case is their only option. The second half of verse 16 gives a very important detail, where to flee. How many know if you're running somewhere, it's good to know where you're going? Remember when you're a kid, you just run. Your mother opens the door and you run. Where are you going? I don't know. I'm going. Choo. You get a little bit older. You need to know the final destination. You have to have calculations between A and B. You have to know where there's toilets and rest stops and drinks. Come on, Wednesday night. So this is a great detail here that they're told to flee, and that's going to create peril in and of itself. But the important detail of where to flee is given. They have to flee to the mountains. Now, how many know mountains are not flat? Anybody? Any flat earthers in here? No, don't raise your hand, please. But mountains are not flat. Now, the older you get, the more you realize going uphill is hard. Someone say amen. Even a slight incline. It's, you know, going uphill is hard. Yet here's a whole people group that have to flee, and, and it's going to be uphill. It's going to be up in the mountains. Just going up the stairs for a lot of people will cause them to sell their houses when they get older. To buy a house, what you've heard, we want one level living. I'm starting to get there. You know, there's times I'm downstairs and I need something upstairs, and I'll just sit downstairs and convince myself I don't need it. Because I don't want to go back upstairs. Anybody? Right, so uphill is hard, you know. Uh, you know, between the exertion of going up the stairs and the danger of falling down the stairs, uh, one level living sounds good. And so these people are going to have to flee to the mountains. They have to go uphill, up the mountains. Now, while going up the mountains will be a great hardship for a huge group of people fleeing, it will also make those who are pursuing them, it's going to make it harder for them. Now, realize they're not just running from nothing. They're running from the Antichrist. Are you getting this? They're not just, well, I'm going to need a drink again. I don't know what happens on Wednesday night. My voice just goes too much singing. You're going to have to duct tape my mouth on the worship team. But, uh, you know, they're fleeing. They're going uphill. They're running, and it's difficult. But those who are pursuing them, it's going to be difficult for them too. Now, the Antichrist will have amassed an army already of soldiers, of civilians, of whoever will follow him, and they will help carry out his wicked intentions. You know, if he has to move trucks and tanks and troops and all the logistical necessities to, cho to chase these people who are running from them, uphill is going to make it harder. You know, just in Afghanistan, we, we just recently enough got out of Afghanistan very poorly. But do you realize the history of Afghanistan? Every invading nation that has invaded it, and it's been constantly invaded, has been defeated by the terrain in Afghanistan. Just the mountains have been enough of a, of a debacle 
for those who were invading that eventually the terrain would defeat them. Now, that's why God's moving his people uphill. He's moving them up to a place where he can protect them and cover them and provide for them. He's going to bring them to Petra. He's going to bring them to this fortified mountain area there, and he's going to protect them and cover them from the Antichrist. So head for the hills is what you have to do. Verse 17 and 18 drives home the point of how little time those who were instructed to flee have to do it. He, he says what? If you're on the housetop, don't go downstairs to get your laptop. Did it say that? No, it said clothes or something like that. But you know what I'm talking about? If you had to run somewhere, so if you had to flee, think about all the things people would try and grab. You know, I mean, just you fill in the blank for yourself. What the word is explicit in here and telling them, if you're on the housetop, now, the way the houses were built back then, the, you know, the housetop was many times at ground level. They built their houses in the side of cliffs and stuff. You know, you could be on the housetop, it was ground level, and everything was below you. So if you're on ground level, don't go back down. Flee immediately. He's saying you don't have time even to get your clothes. Run immediately. If you're in the field, if you're not at home, don't po go back home to get your clothes, get your boots, get whatever. No, you have to immediately run. So the Jewish people will literally have to run with the clothes on their backs with no supplies to escape what the Antichrist unleashes upon them when the abomination of desolation presents himself. Now, get this. You, you might think, man, why would God put his people through that? Think about that, the turmoil. A lot of people are going to die. A lot of people are not going to make it. And you would think they have to run and they have no supplies and they have no food and they, they have just the clothes on their back. It's kind of cruel. It's traumatic. Why does God do that? Well, understand something. This When you run and you only have the clothes on your back, it's going to put them in a position where God has always wanted them to be. They're going to be in a position where they have to totally rely on God. God has always wanted his people, the Jews. He's always wanted the church, us, to rely totally upon him. Yet we got our own supplies and our own agenda and our own cushion and our own this and our own that. And a lot of times we have such a cushion, such uh, preparation, such resources that we don't have to live by faith. Come on, Wednesday night. God really wants us to live that way, to depend on him. He's going to get his people in the spot where all they've got is the clothes on their back. And they're totally going to have to rely on God, who they've walked away from, the Messiah that they've rejected. God's heart is broken. He's always desired them. Now they're going to have no choice but to allow him to protect and provide for them. And he is so happy to do it. He's going to do it beautifully. If you study the book of Revelation, you'll see how God preserves the Jewish people all throughout the great tribulation. Jehovah God will take care of the Jews because they are and always have been the apple of his eye. Now, verse 19 through, uh, and through 20, give us a woe. Say woe. You didn't say that like you meant it. Woo! All right, it's a woe. It gives us a woe and a call to prayer. Listen to this. Here's the woe. It says, but woe to those who are pregnant. Any, uh, don't raise your hand. No, I'm not going to ask that question. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Verse 20, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Let's take a look at those two things. The woe here comes first. And what is a woe in Scripture? 
you know, a woe in Scripture is grief, anguish, or affliction, calamity, or trouble. When a woe is given, it's because there's about to a calamity or judgment or trouble is about to fall on a nation, on a person, and a woe is given. Woe can be used to describe hardship or the judgment of others. God would pronounce woes on those he was about to judge. If you remember, in the Gospels, Jesus hammered the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In Matthew 23, he gave them seven woes. Do you remember that? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe unto you. You do this and you do that, and you're hypocrites and you're whitewashed walls. You know, how Jesus talks to people. And he just hammers them with woe after woe after woe. Uh, why? Because judgment is about to come them, on them. In Revelation 9, there are three woes that will be loosed on mankind as part of God's final judgment. You can find the woes of Revelation 9 and see those three woes and understand exactly what a woe is. Now, the woe here in verse 19 is on those who are forced to flee and they are with child or they're nursing. Fleeing is hard. Fleeing uphill is harder Fleeing while pregnant and nursing is near impossible. And the woe is that, you know, the hardship on, the, on these people is going to be huge and it's going to be on the most vulnerable of them. And the human tragedy of it all is something that uh, it's going to be hard to deal with. And so he says, woe unto them. Now, uh, consider the human drama that will unfold in this situation. This is actual events that are going to take place. Families are going to be torn apart. People are going to be running for their lives. Pregnant women under incredible duress with a child trying to flee to the mountains. Men separated from their families. Uh, families getting lost. Maybe even some abandoning their families and just every man for themselves. You know, this is the stuff that movies are made out of. And this is going to happen, and God has forecasted it, and Jesus has told us about it, and he gives us that woe. But then we are also told to pray. Now, obviously, um, prayer, God doesn't ask us to pray about things that, you know, have no chance of happening. Do you think that? You know, God says, pray for the peace of Israel. That means that Israel has a chance to have peace. You know, and, and he says here, you know, pray what? Uh, that we should pray that, the, that your flight, so he's in talking to the Jews, your flight is not in winter or on the Sabbath. Think about that. So a few things here. Uh, the winter, obviously, uphill is hard, but when it's cold, it's even harder. You realize the cold makes everything more difficult? When they train special forces, a lot of times they'll put them in cold environments and get them to do tasks that you need, need uh, fine motor skills. And when you're cold and you have gloves on and everything, you'd be surprised what you can't do. And the winter makes everything more difficult. So he says, you know, pray that it's not in winter and pray that it's not on the Sabbath. There, another great indication that this is for the Jews. Gentiles don't care if it's the Sabbath. We'll, we will, when it's time to run, we run. The Jews aren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. They're not allowed to do things on the Sabbath. The observant Jews, uh, you know, the temple's been reconstituted. They're, they're observing the law now. It's going to be an issue. Some of them might not run. So some of them might not flee because it's Sabbath. So it's interesting to think about this here that, you know, God tells us to pray about an event that's going to happen in the future. The implication is that our, our prayers can affect the timing of these things. Think about that. 
Our prayers can affect. God knows when it's going to happen. God knows the timing. God knows things that he's kept only to himself, not even the son, not even the angels, nobody else. But yet he tells us to pray about the timing of them because it's in his hands and he's a merciful God. And we should pray about these things. We should pray for Israel. We should pray for the lost Gentiles. We should pray uh, for God's mercy to be present in times of wrath. Think about those earthquakes that happened in Turkey and Syria. Are you guys paying attention to them? What's the death toll now? Is it almost 40,000 something? Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Kim works with a woman who's lost how many family members? 11 family members in Turkey. You know, a lot of us don't even know what's going on, but remember we talked about the signs, earthquakes, massive earthquakes, huge death toll, families missing people. And so we should be praying about these things. We should be praying for Turkey and, and the Syria and the nations that are affected by these things. Now, we continue here in this study uh, with verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation. So it's a woe, but pray, because if it's winter and it's Sabbath, it's going to be bad and it's going to be worse if these things are in play. So, you know, then there will be great tribulation such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world unto this time, nor shall ever be. So it's going to be bad and it's going to be worse than it's ever been before, but it can even be worse. And so God tells us to pray. Now, verse 21 and uh, verse, you know, 21 and 22 here, they really add some uh, fuel to the uh, foundation of uh, the, the viewpoint of the futurist. Remember we talked about the two eschatological views last time we were together, the two camps of Bible interpretation. There are the preterists and the futurists. The preterists the preterist believe that all these things that have been prophesied have already been fulfilled and there's no future fulfillment. Revelation is just an allegorical book to get us to see blah, 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 and X, Y, Z. And then there are the futurists that say, no, there were some fulfillments of these things, but there are future fulfillments of all these things and that the book of Revelation is going to literally happen and, and, and happen upon the earth. So obviously, as evangelical Christians, we're futurists. There are other denominations that are preterists, but these passages strengthen the futurist view of interpretation here because it's very unlikely according to the points that 21 and 22 are making that these events have already happened anybody has the world known a tribulation so great like never i mean never seen before never going to see again i mean if that's true then you know first of all we're going to talk about when did that happen but if that's true then it's all downhill for us here it's not going to get worse it's just going to get better because the worst has already passed us if this has been fulfilled, then, you know, there again, the preacherist view here doesn't make sense. Daniel talks about end-time things and end-time leaders and end-time events, and so does the book of Revelation. But if you think it has already taken place, first of all, you know, when did it happen? Was it in the fall of Jerusalem when the Romans destroyed the temple? Was it the diaspora of the Jews as they were dispersed all throughout the nations? Was it the Holocaust of World War II? Was that it? Was that the, you know, the Great Tribulation and that's as bad as it's ever going to get? Does anybody believe that? Does anybody believe it's going to get happier and clappier and sunny and brighter? Does the forecast look that way? No. So there again, the futurist idea of these things coming to pass and uh, perilous times coming are very consistent, consistent with so many new Testament scriptures. 
I don't think for a minute that these things have been fulfilled and that there's no future fulfillment of them. I believe there will absolutely be a literal future fulfillment of everything the book of Revelation forecasts. Now, uh, understand uh, here that God is coming back to shake up the nations. Why? Because mankind has hardened his heart to the gospel and has refused salvation. So what is God going to do? He's going to come back and just wipe them all out? No, he wants to put the heat on gradually and slowly so that people will realize their lostness and repent. Even in God's judgment, there's mercy. God doesn't judge just to destroy. He judges to shake man up so that he'll fall to his knees and repent. And all of these things, you know, God is dealing with, you know, a stiff-necked, wicked generation in our generation. And, you know, they're arrogant, and, and they shake their fist at God. Just said some of the things that were said, you know, at the Super Bowl and some of these events uh, that are happening, and, you know, right around us here, you, you see the arrogance of man. Anybody? Or did you just watch a football game? You know, I mean, like we see these things at the, those awards that they were doing, they were dressed up like devils and doing satanic rituals. Do you guys, you guys paying attention to any of that? I mean, it's just the world has gone crazy. And, and God, his heart is broken because he's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want to cut, judge people, cut them off, send them to hell. No, God doesn't send anyone to hell. We choose hell when we reject God's grace and mercy. We choose hell when we reject God's goodness. We choose hell when we, we say, I, I want to keep my sin and I don't need a savior. So all of these things are unfolding before us. Uh, absolutely, the futurist view is a strong position. It's coming to pass before our eyes. God's dealing with a difficult generation, but we are not in the, you know, we're not in the down slow period here. We're still enjoying God's long suffering. He's still contending with mankind. Did you guys hear there, there a revival has broken out somewhere in the United States? Say it again. Ashbury. Where is Ashbury? Kentucky. Wow. God's moving in Kentucky. So, you know, there, there's a revival. It's, I think it's going into its seventh day now. And people are just worshiping God, broken before God. Praise God. Amen. God's not done with us. God's not quit. <laughs> yeah, the, the nation is tough and stiff-necked, but praise God. Pray for revival. Pray for God's mercy. Pray for the move of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, you know, here we are watching these things unfold before us, and we're still enjoying God's mercy and his grace but he will not contend with man forever. So judgment will come. It'll come gradually. It'll give people time to repent. Uh, but we are seeing the book of Revelation unfold in front of us. Verse 22 spells it out really clearly. Unless those days be shortened, no flesh would be saved. So, you know, there again, not something we've seen. We've seen perilous times, dark times, certainly the Holocaust, World War II, a, a lot of these situations, dark times. But nowhere in, in such a situation that, you know, uh, oh, we're going to survive this or, you know, uh, life continues, but we are heading full steam ahead towards the tribulation period, but we are not quite there yet. It's spelling it out pretty clearly. It's going to get hot. And those with hardened hearts who refuse to repent will provoke harsher judgment. 
Why does God's judgment increase and get hotter and hotter and hotter? Because you'll see, as if you study the book of Revelation, that men, even though they know it's judgment, they know it's God, they know they're being called out for their sins, they harden their hearts and refuse to repent. It's the same thing that happened to Pharaoh. You, you would think Pharaoh, you know, after one, two, three plagues would say, all right, uncle, I give in. You know, your God is the God of heaven and earth. Uh, no, but he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. Ten plagues later, he held his dead son in his arms, and he still hardened his heart. And he let them go, but he pursued them to kill them all. And God drowned the whole army in that sea after he opened it up and let the people of God pass through. So understand the nature of mankind when he refuses to repent, it hardens his heart. But we're still in God's grace here, but it's going to get hotter. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. Uh, and that's an interesting thing to think about. The good news for the believer is this. The best is yet to come. Let me say that again. The good news for us as believers is the best is yet to come. Amen. The suffering we endure, the trials we endure, the persecution we endure on earth is the only hell we will ever know. Yet the person who rejects Jesus Christ, all of what they endure on earth is the only heaven they'll ever know. Think about that for a second. It's tough. It's hard. You know, some days you get up and you think, you know, I, I, I'm going to go back to bed and try again tomorrow. Anybody, anybody ever? I mean, just we go through seasons. We go through trials. We, we have issues with our finances and with our bodies and with our children. And, and life is tough and there's a lot of stress. Can I get an amen? But this is the only, this is the only suffering we're ever going to know. The good news for you and I is the best is yet to come. We're headed for eternity with Jesus, amen? He's going to snatch us up. He's going to take us home, and uh, we're going to forever be with the Lord, and that's an awesome thing. For those who refuse God good, God's goodness, things are going to go from bad to worse. For this world that we're seeing, you know, with their devil worship and their child trafficking and their prostitution and their gender reassignment and mutilating children and aborting babies, hello, you know, that's going to catch up with them, and God's going to bring judgment upon the nations for all of these things. And if they don't repent, it's going to go from bad to worse. Talk about, you know, out of the frying pan and into the fire. But we have a blessed hope to hang on to, and we are looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. One more thought from verse 22 as I close it down here. We're told, unless those days are shortened, no flesh would be saved. No one, no one would survive. You know, the fullness of God's wrath would wipe out man in an instant. Do you realize in all of these judgments, you read all the judgments that are poured out in the book of Revelation, the bowl judgments, the trumpet judgments, the, the woes, all of these things, that's God restraining himself. Because in an instant, you'll see at the battle of Armageddon, he destroys the world's armies with the words of his mouth. Boom. You're done. And they're done. So, you know, this is God's restraint. But he's saying if it's going to be so hot at this time, it's going to be so uh, God's wrath is going to be so off the hook at this time that if we didn't shorten the days, no, nobody would survive. And it says this, but for the elect's sake, say elect, for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, 
that's an interesting thing to look out here. You know, he, he's saying no one would be saved, but unless the days were shortened, then we're told, well, the days will be shortened and they will be shortened for the sake of the elect. So the million dollar question becomes, who is the elect? Now, again, it's vital we understand who Jesus is talking to in eschatology. The Greek word uh, that's translated elect here in this text simply means chosen. Say chosen. Who are God's chosen people? Say it loud. Starts with a J and it ends with a ooze. The Gentiles aren't the chosen people. We're grafted in through the vine, connected to Abraham, to the root. Amen. The Jews always have been and always will be God's chosen people. Amen. So when he says for the sake of the elect, he's talking about the chosen. When he mentions the chosen, he's always speaking about the Jews. Why is Jesus talking to those you know, Jews there? Because they're the only ones who are going to be here at that time. Why doesn't he talk to those who, uh, of us who are elected by predestination that are part of the kingdom of God and the body of Christ because we're not on the earth at that time. We're in heaven at, at the, with the bridegroom at the table at the marriage supper of the lamb, amen? So he's talking to his people, the Jews, the elect, the chosen. He says, the reason I'm gonna shorten it is not for the stiff-necked, wicked Gentiles, no, but for my people who I'm protecting, my beloved, the apple of my eye, my chosen people. For their sake, for the sake of the elect, I'll shorten those days. And so the text ends there. Realize these things that Jesus is telling his disciples uh, particularly pertain to the Jews. They fit in perfectly uh, with the layout of end time things. They fit in perfectly with the futurist view of eschatology. They should make perfect sense to us, and we should have perfect peace in knowing God will take care of the church, God will take care of his chosen, and God will be as completely merciful as he can be with lost humanity until everyone who wants to be saved can be saved. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. We thank you for these peaks and these glimpses and these clues into what's going to happen in the last days. So, Father, we ask that you would drive these truths and these principles deep into our heart, that you would invigorate us to watch for your coming, to live ready, to be about the Father's business and sharing the gospel with everyone who will hear it. And God, for us to pray for Jerusalem, to pray for the Jewish people, to pray for the lost, that you would have mercy and that you would save as many who are willing to be saved in your great patience and long-suffering. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him praise tonight.